have kids. It's not when we have grandkids or great-grandkids or we have all these different things. We build a new house. It's not any of those. The best day of your life is the day that in your relationship spiritually, you said Jesus and you accepted him into your life, period. Period. Listen, I, I know I have a lot of friends and, and not very, I don't have a lot of close friends, but I have a lot of acquaintances, friends. Um, then I, ha- I have some of them that have literally just been blessed financially. They love God. They've been very successful in the things that they've done. And the number one thing that you can, that I, I will talk to them, uh, one of the guys is probably responsible in saving my life spiritually and physically in, on this earth. And I talk to him all the time. He has more money than he knows what to do with. Um, fi- I mean, really, they, they, they donate, they give, they do a lot of things. They're very generous people. But I talked to him, and he said, you know what, all this stuff is just stuff. My house is just stuff. The cool toys that I have is just stuff. He's got a small, medium, and large truck. The small one is a, is a one-ton Ford. The next one is a step up. It's one of the new Raptor or something. And he's got a custom 650 dually. Custom. With a semi-cab on it. He has more money than he, than he needs. But he, he always said, he said, you can take my small, medium, and large pickup trucks and you can put them next to the day that I got saved and they are absolutely not even there. It's not as important as my relationship to Christ. So this morning, we're going to be talking about a couple things. We're going to talk about a cartoon guy named Captain Caveman, who was a real-life person, I do think, um, in John the Baptist. Uh, camel, camel hair, all kinds of cool stuff. We're going to be talking about a couple movies, and I know that from the first service, uh, some people have maybe seen Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? and Tommy Boy from the way that they reacted last, last, uh, last service. Uh, but I want, I, want you, I want to ask you a question. So where do, we, where do we go from here? This is a question that can be answered by all of us and all of us differently. We're going to be different places. We're going to be in different, we're going to be in different directions. We're going to go different places and, and, and at different times. But there was a young man that grew up in South Africa, and he, he played guitar. And he, that's a bass guitar, but there's no guitars up here. But he, he played guitar, and, and like me, he suffered from a condition of small hand syndrome. That's not a real syndrome, I don't think. But he just has small hands, okay? So he has small hands. And he was, and he was working with, this, with his, his guitar instructor, and he had a love of the music, and he, he understood the music, and he could sing. And he had this huge desire to play and sing. And the guitar teacher came to him one day and said, son, listen to me. You don't have the hands, you don't have the ability, the talent to make the chords that you need to make to match the sound of your voice to be successful. So where are you going to go from here? Not up, he said. Where are you going to go from here? It's really sad because I grew up in the, as a kid of the 90s and it would have been really sad if that kid would have given up because otherwise we would never have heard the music of Dave Matthews. And some of you young people are like, who's Dave Matthews? Please use YouTube. He's good, okay? He actually, it's a band that plays their instruments. It's a, it's a novelty thing. It's a really awesome thing. So, so where do we go? But he has, a, he has a, some song lyrics in a song that he wrote. It says, I'm not going to attempt to sing like him, but it's the song lyrics of this. Where are you going? He says, where are you going? This morning, you have to ask the question, not of your mate, not to your best friend, not to the people in the youth group that you're in the youth group with, not people that you're going to text, not people that you're going to be on Facebook with. This is internally you. Where do you go from here? The problem is, here is a relative statement. Here is not really a real place. Actually, if you look at it geographically, GPS says... That you are at 18147 East Illinois Highway, Route 15 on the south side of the road, Mount Vernon, Illinois at Connection Church, 62864. Whoop-dee-doo. Connection's not a place. It's a building. 
It's a geographical place, but it's not our church. Connection is not a place. We are the hands and the feet of Jesus, and if we practice that, we go out here. And we practice hands and feet ministry to people. We take God's word, which can be the scariest thing on earth. This book right here I have in my hand is illegal to even own in countries in this world. We have the opportunity as Americans to come in here, look at this question, worship with songs, worship in the the reading of God's word. And we have to come back to this question. Where do I go from here? And the one after this is the most scary. Because where do I want to go from here? Where do, I, where do I go from here is not nearly as scary of the question that says, where, where does God want me to go? The first one, hmm, where do I want to go from here? I don't know. Disneyland. That's what everybody says. When they win a national championship or a world championship in any sport. What are you going to do? I'm going to Disneyland. Yeah. We're, we, we want to go places, but oftentimes our wants do not match up with God says so places. There are people in the Bible that are described, and we're going to meet, we're going to meet John the Baptist this morning. If you've never heard about John the Baptist, this could really blow your mind. You could literally hear this story about who John the Baptist is, what he wore, what he ate, uh, where he lived, and you'd be like, wow, the Bible is really not boring. No, it's not. No, he was the original Duck Dynasty guy. Okay, and I think that he portrayed very much so Captain Caveman alive on this earth. Some of you are, are, you probably need to Google image like Captain Caveman because I think it's pretty close and some of us maybe have never seen him. But where do we go from here? Last Sunday, I want to tell you, I want to tell you something very much from the bottom of my and my wife and my family's heart. Um, Thank you for allowing us the flexibility to go out of state for an emergency. Being really serious. In the order of things, according to God's word and not my opinion, my life is this. My relationship with God, my relationship with my family, and then you. You have to understand that's the hierarchy of importance. It's not that I don't love each and every single one of you. But my family and my relationship with God takes priority and precedence over this. And I am blessed that Colton came and brought the word last week after he had preached a week that we had already scheduled. Two weeks in a row for a young man who one day is hopefully going to take over um, our church plant as a a campus pastor. Um, He's got some things to do, but I'm very proud of him. If you see him and you haven't said anything to him, chances aren't really good that you're going to see him face to face. Him and Christina are suffering for Jesus. In Italy. Oh, well. Yeah, so you know, anyway, really happy for them. They, they get, get, get away for, for some time. But when we, when we look at, at the importance of life and situations, I was very much needed in Missouri with my family last week. Um, we laid to rest one of Mary's best friends. And I want to share with you, I talked to you a couple weeks ago when we found out that this happened. Um, 40 years old, killed in a car wreck on our way home from Colorado and Kansas. And I had talked to Mary and I told you that I'd had some conversations that led me to believe, I mean, I can't judge her heart, but it led me to believe that Monica knew right from wrong. And I believe that she had chosen Jesus to be the Lord of her life. I chose, I heard her kind of choose those words. Okay. I'm not an expert, but I've talked to several people about that. We get to the funeral, which their parent, her parents said that their church held 200. Uh, it was 200 like this, okay? It was, it was packed. And I listened to a guy named Brent 
who, if you understand fraternity and sorority in college, you have brothers and sisters, sororities, fraternities, and uh, Brent was kind of her, Monica's quote-unquote brother. So Brother Brent, as she referred to him, uh, he's a really good dude, and I got to know him, and he, he got a time to come up and speak at the funeral for one of his best friends. There were people there from Colorado, from D.C., Illinois, Missouri, all over the country that were at this place in Fayette. And Brother Brent gets up, and he said, I could tell you the, all the funny stories that we have with Monica and I together. And it would take a long, long time, but this is, he got to the point. He said, here's the deal. All of them fail to compare to the stories I could tell you about the discussions that we had and about the relationship with Jesus that Monica had. And I'm sitting beside my wife going, yes. Because she's not, because she's not gone. She's not here. So where, where, do, you, where do you go I just wanted to say thank you because that, that, it, it really alleviates something. When we, we need to go, we can go. And that's a big deal. So that's, you guys should be very proud of, of I knew there were, there's a lot of people that chipped in. Um, we are going to be in Matthew chapter 3 uh, this morning. Um, it's, it's an odd question to start a sermon with. Where, where do we go from here? And some of you are sitting there thinking, well, I'm hungry. How about KFC? Okay. <laughs> Uh, by the way, we will have some KFC wings next week. If you know, there, there's a guy by the name of Ken Freeman. Some of you know who that is. It's a guy that used to be an evangelist, and he would shave a cross in the back of his head. And he was he did a lot of stuff at Logan Street. That's where he was when I saw him. And uh, he traveled all the world doing evangelistic stuff. And and he said one time, he goes, "Never be apologetic about having food at church." And we're kind of sitting there going, "Man, what is this guy's talking about." He goes, "I was invited to church." Now this guy is preached all over the nation, all over the, all the country, all over the world. And he said, there was a guy that invited me to youth group one time. And I said, I wasn't interested. And he said, you know, we have pizza and there's girls there. He goes, I'm there. <laughs> and he ends up meeting much more than Jesus and girls. He met the savior of his life. And as a result of that, he's impacting the kingdom globally. Where are you going? It's an odd question. We're all on a journey. It's different. Geographically, physically, yep, you're at 18147 East Illinois Highway 15. You are. Spiritually, that map gets a lot more broad. That map gets a little more diverse, different levels. Now it's a 3D map because we have people that have been Christians for a long time that have tried to follow God. You can be, oh, by the way, if you go vertical in your relationship with God, getting closer to him, um, just because you've been a Christian for 30 years does not mean you're on the third level. The sad thing is I know a lot of people in a lot of churches that have been baby Christians for the last 30 and 40 years, and they have not done anywhere near what God has called them to do spiritually for the kingdom of heaven. Because it takes guts, it's hard, it's not fun, you feel alone, and quite frankly, you don't want to go where God wants you to go all the time. You don't want to do all the things that God wants you to do all the time. We all have these experiences in our life, but on this journey today, we're all on different spots probably. Look at the, look at the first blank in your worship handout. If you were given a, a piece of paper this morning, I want you to check this out. Where are you at right now? I know that some of you have a really awesome memory, or you can maybe find it possibly on here. No, it's not on there anymore. Um, you're at 18147 East Illinois Highway 15, Mount Vernon, Illinois 62864. That's where you are. And you're in the 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 
row in whatever chair, if we, if we numbered them, you could be in exact spot. I shot a snow goose. If, you're, if, you, if you don't know me, I, I, I'm a big hunter. And I, I, shot a, I shot a snow goose, okay? They're the white ones that in like February and March, there's like 8 billion of them flying around. Okay, that's what I shot, okay? And I shot a snow goose one time and it had a band. And if you're a waterfowl hunter and you shoot a, a duck or a goose that has a band on it, it's a big deal, Okay. So I, you call the band in, and you get to see all the migrating reports and where it was banded and all this stuff. Well, I shot a snow goose, and her name is Stella because my daughters name everything as far as animals in our house. So it's Stella the snow goose. That's her name. And Stella, when I, when I, when I shot her, she was laying on her back like this, and she had a band on her, on her leg. And I went, holy smoke, this is a big deal. Never shot a band of snow goose. This is awesome. So I pick her up, and I kind of put her on my hand like this and see the back, and she has a radio transmitter on her back. And I, now I think that I shot, like, a drone for the government. Okay, at, the, at, this, at this point, it is not, it is not going well. But I, I knew that it, was, it, it looked like a tracking device. So I called, when you call the number in the band, they ask a question that all waterfowl hunters want to say. It says, are there any other markings on the bird used for tracking? And I said, yes, there is. She's got some kind of weird thing on her back. I don't know what it is. So I called it in, and I gave them all the information about it that evening. Obviously, their offices are closed. 7.30 a.m. the next day, Dana Kellett from Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, Canada, calls me. I'm 7.30 on the dot. That's when they open. She, and the first thing I said, she goes, is this Matt? I go, first of all, I got a phone call from Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, Canada. It's like a different country. Thank you. So, so, I, so I'm talking to Dana, and she goes, you have something of ours, I believe. And I went, it's not yours. <laughs> I shot it on the goose, and I'm keeping it. And she, anyway, I just talked to her, a really, really awesome conversation, and she says, no, Matt, I need to tell you something, and it's, and it's something pretty important. And I said, well, what, what's, what's the big deal? She goes, I understand from your information that you gave us last night that your, your hunting license says that you live in Mount Vernon. She goes, that's not a problem for me to find, but you live... Um, on a street named Bel Air, and at the time we did, and I said, okay, you're in Canada, which is that way, like 1,800 miles to where they are, and I went, okay, uh, yeah, I live on Bel Air, did she get that from my hunting license? She goes, you know, it's really cold where you live, and I went, this is getting weird. She was really cold where you are, I shot it in February, shot the goose in February, she said, but if you brought the goose in, um, you probably didn't put it in the freezer because you didn't know what that transmitter would do in the freezer. So you probably kept it outside, wrapped up in a bag or something, and you, want, you didn't want the dogs to get it. So I don't, know what it, I don't know where it's pinging off exactly, but probably on the west side of your house in a carport or a garage, that goose is in the back of your truck. I go, this, this lady is either really, really good or she knows my neighbor. It comes to find out that that electronic signal, uh, the backpack was still giving off satellite signals, and they could ping it, and they would cross it, and they could get within six feet of that transmitter globally. So she knew exactly where I was right now, okay? She knew exactly where I was, and she said, you need to go in, take a magnet off of your refrigerator, cut it in half, put it on both sides, it'll cancel the signal, and I'll cancel it from here. Um, but... The fact that we spend so much time and so much money on, on animal stuff to track the, the migration patterns of everything, and, and that's a big deal. It is a big deal, okay? Um, 
to find out where they go. Do you, do you have any idea how much more intimately and how much more greater the fact of it is that God has a concern in where you're going and where you're at and how to get you from where you are to where you need to go? He, listen, God gave us snow geese. If you don't hunt, that's fine. But God gave us snow geese to, number one, like just completely mess with our heads because they're almost impossible to hunt because they're so smart. Um, but he gave us to enjoy, to look at, to hunt, what to eat, whatever, okay? At Connection, we are concerned with where you're going, but it doesn't matter to us where you come from. If you, re- you can simply read our website. We don't care if you spent all the money at the casino last night. And on there it says, we don't, care. we don't care anything about the specifics, but we are highly interested in your relationship with God, how you're going to get, how we can help you, how we can get you to where you are now, to where God wants you to be. And the only thing that you can do to get there is to find out where your starting point is. So today, right now, boom, it's your starting point. Well, I've already started. Well, <laughs> no, you start today. Every day is a new day. You start off differently every day. So you're at, you're, in, you're at Illinois Highway 15 this morning. But how about spiritually? You know, Matt, we could just talk about the church building. Let's not talk about intimate details of my spiritual life. Well, that's exactly what God wants you to do. That's how we get over things like addiction. Because we have a higher power. And in, in AA, they call it higher power. In Celebrate Recovery, they call it Jesus Christ. Okay, we have to have that to get over and to go. We, we do not care. We do not care. I, I find it so, so amazing how God has gifted the people at our, at our church. I have people come up to me and says, I struggle with this. I've done time. I've been in this. I've done this. I've done this. I've done this. And I can genuinely with 100% of my body look at them and go, I'm glad that you're here. If you knew the stuff that I've done, you wouldn't be worried to come in and sit down. We all have different stuff. I'm not, I'm not leveling. God sees sin. I love that picture. There was a picture on Facebook. And it had a, a bar graph. And it says how we look at sin. And this is bigger than this. And this is bigger than this. And this is bigger than this. It had a version on the next page. It was a version of how God sees sin. And he's looking at it straight down. And they're all the same. We have to understand that we are going we have to go where God wants us to go, but if we, need, if we can get there, we're going to need support. We're going to need prayer. I asked for that this morning. I asked one person, I said, would you just pray for me? And they are, and they do. And it's just special because of the place that we have here. But Jesus' ministry had a starting point too. Now we're going to be in Matthew chapter 3, but this is kind of wild. I want to, I want to, I want to show you something. Matthew chapter 1, we see the lineage of Jesus. See it all the way to Joseph, and then Joseph and Mary have Jesus. In chapter 2, we see the wise men. Okay, Now, Christmas is in two and a half months. Some of you think I just cussed at you, okay? but I didn't. Okay, Christmas is in two and a half months. I'm not going to come to your house and remove the wise men from your nativity scene, but please hear me, they weren't there. <gasps> sinner! <laughs> I'm not a sinner. That's the truth. It says that the wise men came to Jesus and Mary's home. Okay, he came to a town, came to a place, a dwelling place. Okay, it doesn't, it doesn't well, we can't have the wise men out because Matt said I'm going to be a sinner. I didn't say that. Okay, they brought, they did bring gifts to Jesus because he was the king. But listen, they were on a journey to get to him. They found him. But we have some things in the Bible that really, really push some very, very 
hard inability to understand. At the end of chapter 2, what you see in, in the Bible is that the, that the um, King Herod has died and he told, uh, he told uh, the, or the, the wise men, go away a different way so they wouldn't, they wouldn't talk to anybody to tell them where Jesus was. Okay? So then literally all of a sudden, if you start in chapter 3, bang, back to the future and the flux capacitors happen. We're now 30 years in the future. Boom, next verse. The problem is, well, Jesus, we heard that Jesus as a young boy was teaching at the temple. And then there's a certain scripture that says he grew and matured as a man. And then, boom, we see him at 30. I have a friend. He has, he has a young son. His young son got saved. He said, he said hey, well, you thinking about getting baptized? I will soon. He goes, well, you know, just so you understand. He just understand, kind of said, you know, when you get baptized, that's the first commandment after you get saved. He goes, I will. He goes, and I, and I do want to be like Jesus. He goes, that's why I'm going to wait till I'm 30 and get baptized. Okay. Some of you will get that at lunch, okay? But anyway, there, he said, I want to be like Jesus, so I'm going to wait till I'm 30, okay? So Jesus has, this, has these very, very, very not talked about, we don't theologically know, and then boom, we see the physical start of his earthly ministry, okay? And this is a big deal because he, he does this in the most unassuming way. If you have ever been, has anybody ever in this, in this room ever been hogging? Okay, good. There's one, two, three of us. We should get together and have pizza because we're clinically insane for doing so. Okay, going into a river, it's where you catch catfish with your hands. And some of you that didn't think I was insane already now find it to be, oh, you psycho. Why don't you use a rod and reel? Okay, so anyway, if you have ever swam in an old pond with blue mud, and you know what I'm talking about. If I say the words blue mud and you kind of go, ugh, I mean, that's a stench and a whole bunch of things. There's one rule in my family when we go hogging especially if you go in my truck, you will have a change of clothes to get back in to said vehicle when we leave because your shoes are trash, your clothes are trash, everything's just yucky. So we literally see the start of the savior of the world's earthly ministry start at a river with a guy that looks like Captain Caveman. How much more unassuming could it be? This is why so many Jewish people missed it because they were looking for David to come riding in on a gold horse. Where are you right now? Look at the next blank in your worship handout. This is what he did. John the Baptist prepared the way for Jesus. But what is your role in God's kingdom? What is your role? I'm not talking about, hey, my friend, I think my friend has this. I'm talking about your role. Because John the Baptist, although we're going to see in a second that he was very well received and had somewhat of a falling in the ministry side of things, was not, was not a one-hit wonder, but he was not the Beatles either. It wasn't. That's Jesus. Jesus is the Beatles in the Bible. That's what I've compared him to before. He was, he was completely revolutionary. Um, no pun intended for those of you that know Beatles songs. Okay. So John the Baptist. Okay. John the Baptist prepared the way for Jesus. This is the story. Elizabeth is pregnant with, with John the Baptist. Her cousin Mary, who's pregnant with Jesus, comes to her house. Mary and Jesus inside of her walks in. John the Baptist inside Elizabeth's his body leaps because the Bible said that Elizabeth and the baby were filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm not going to go into a whole lot of deep theological arguments about predestination or anything like that. But I can promise you, if you study scripture enough, John the Baptist's life was planned out. There are people in the Bible that they have specific things that they needed to do. You see that in Samson. Yet Samson made a wrong turn or 700 like I've done in my life. And then he finally comes back around at the end. Aren't you glad that God saves people like this? 
John the Baptist prepared the way from Jesus. Now, he was, he was a pretty popular person, but his role in God's kingdom was minuscule compared to Christ. He, his job was to do, literally, the intro for Jesus. Jesus is the star. His job was to do the intro. And prepare he did quite well. But the problem is, would it be okay for you or for me? Is it, is it difficult for us at times to do what John the Baptist did in taking a back seat? John the Baptist literally went from John the Baptizer, that's how we get his name, very popular person. Jesus comes on the scene. In Scripture, you see John the Baptist fade away, even to the point of Jesus is starting his ministry. John the Baptist is, is still doing his thing, following Christ. Word is set out from the king and the king's daughter. The king makes a very, very bad mishap with his words. And he said, I'll give you anything you want. And she said, I want the head of John the Baptist given to me on a platter. So John the Baptist is in prison for preaching the gospel. They come, they behead him, they put him on. So all of a sudden, in a very short time in scripture, he's gone. And that seems very difficult for us because, because we want to be, we want to be, we want to be known for something. Like we want to have our name in, in lights. And, we, and, and, I, and I say that, and I'm not, I'm not talking about, God, God has put people in places like that that can make that stand. By the way, if you're a baseball fan, you should check out I Am Second with Goldie. It's pretty awesome. Goldschmidt from the Cardinals talks about his faith. It's awesome. He has, he's been given, like, like the other major league baseball players and athletes, they've been given a pedestal. Just, a, just people see him. I talk to my high school volleyball players all the time. I said, to third and fourth graders, do you realize that those people that you grew up looking at me like, man, I want to be like that person? I told them the other day, I said, do you realize that right now you are that person to some younger kids? And they're watching everything that you do. What's your role in God's kingdom? Look at verse 1 in chapter 3. And some of you are like, oh, finally getting to the scripture. Listen, this is, this is good stuff. In those days, John the Baptist, now in those days, literally, it's 30 years later. Okay, they hit 88 miles an hour. Thank you. Thank you, my people. I just took a survey real fast so you've ever seen Back to the Future, and now I know who we can be friends with. Okay, now, so, so he, he, boom, 30 years into the future. We don't need roads, right? There are no roads in the future. Okay, sweet. All right, I'll get off that. Okay. John the Baptist came to the Judean wilderness and began preaching. And his message was, dot, dot, dot. Okay, we're going to find that in verse 2. Okay, but look at this. It's been 30 years since the end of chapter 2. 30 years. You guys aren't 30 years old. You're not half of 30, some of you. You're like, man, what's half of 30? I'm, I'm, I'm grateful to be, you know, one and a half of 30. Okay, yeah, I get it. We simply do not know much about Jesus' life. We see that he, he matures as a man. He grows as a man. Um, we, don't know if, we don't know about his, his, his experiences when he was 18 and 19 and 20 and 25. And we, don't, we, don't, we just don't know that kind of stuff. But we catch up with him at a very, very important time in not just Jesus' life, but in the, in the history of our world. Okay, we're, I, like, I like Phil Robertson um, because he... He's a big duck hunter, but I like him because he, he, if you look at interviews with him, his way of thinking is so simple, but it is so right on with the Bible and today. He's a very simple guy, okay? And a lot of people look at him a lot of different ways. Um, Having to get to meet a couple of his sons, and they are like truly how they are on TV. There's no, there's no play on this. 
But Phil Robertson said, he goes, I've talked to some people that don't believe in Jesus, and that's okay with me. He goes, I pray for them, and it's not okay with me. And he said, the fact that you don't believe in Jesus can't, doesn't automatically make him not exist. And he kind of pauses. He goes, I'm going to tell you that again. He goes, the fact that you don't believe in Jesus or God does not affect the fact that they don't exist. He goes, even by a person, if you don't believe in them or if they were ever on earth or ever here, currently right now, it is 1152, and we've been keeping time by Jesus for a long time. He goes, even if you believe that he wasn't real, we keep time by him. Very simple, okay? So John the Baptist was preaching, uh, and he's, and he, and he's I, love, I love how the, sometimes the scripture catches this. It says, his message was, dun, dun, dun. This is John the Baptist, man. This is the beginning of Jesus' ministry. It's going to be like, Jesus, the Messiah, the dude is here. Like, it's going to be some kind of cool message. Look at verse 2. Look what he says. This is the title of his sermon. Repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. There's no shininess about this. First of all, the word repent to Christians and followers of Jesus today, you might as well say a four-letter word that starts with F that you shouldn't say here. And that's the real truth. Repenting is not, I got caught taking some Swiss rolls because Swiss rolls are little Debbie's Jesus. You're welcome. I said it, everybody's thinking it. Now some of you argue, my wife will argue me that oatmeal cream pies are, so we agreed to disagree and we tie. So here's the deal. I, f- I did find out as a younger person, um, little, little Debbie cakes, uh, we didn't get them very often, but we got them sometimes, and I really like fudge rounds for whatever reason. You can put them in the freezer. Okay, hear me on this, people. This is going to change your life. This is like when I tell people that we make Jesus s'mores at our house, and instead of Hershey's, we put Reese's peanut butter cups. Oh, amen, Jesus. Okay, so, so you take a fudge round and you put it in the freezer in the plastic. Here's the deal. It's so synthetic, it doesn't freeze solid. Oh, the joys of eating like an American. It's so awful for you. It will bend, and it becomes a cold piece of awesomeness, okay? Now, I, I say all of that to do this. He did, he, did not, he did not come up with this huge thing, this huge new idea, repent. Repentance is not, I'm sorry I got caught. It's not. It is, when you go to God and say, God, I'm sorry for this, you are talking about the, the being that spoke you into existence. He created you. He formed you in your mother's womb. That's what the Bible says. He knows if you're lying or not. That's why I think it's so funny when I see Adam and Eve in chapter 3 of Genesis and they sin and Adam hides. You realize that God is the best hide-and-go-seek player in the world? What do you mean? I'm, I'm, I'm hiding. From what? You're hiding from God. That's neat because he knows exactly where he put that tree. And you're sitting behind it. All superpowers combined, God has. So he says, repent of your sins and turn to God. Repentance is not, I'm sorry I got caught. It's God, I'm sorry, I'm going to lay this down at the foot of your cross, and I'm going to turn from it. It would have been such a revolutionary idea at the river that day. Because he's joined there by a couple of people that don't like him. There are a couple of people that really like rule followers. They're legalistic. They're hypocrites. They're the hypocrites that don't think they're hypocrites. You know what I mean? I ask people to come to Connection all the time. Well, the church is full of hypocrites. I said, sweet, ours is a whole bunch. We have a whole bunch of them. Why don't you come and join us? Because you are one. <laughs> Sometimes they don't like that. But I tell them that. <laughs> okay? So, you know, 
Hillsong did not show up at the river, based on my Bible. Hillsong and Jeremy Camp didn't do, didn't do Are You Washed in the Blood? And when I grew up, it was washed. It wasn't washed, okay? They didn't do, Hillsong did not lead worship. There was not a grand thing. We're reading through Psalms in discipleship group, and I'm, I'm looking at this, and some of it says, a song to be played with a tambourine and a lyre. And I'm going, man, there's no sweet lead parts. There's no bass. There's no drums. There's Ding, ding, ding. I mean, I just imagine this. I'm like, oh, Lord, you're awesome. Okay. But it was created for worship just like that. It doesn't need to have the special effects. I ask you guys this question all the time, and it's very difficult to answer when you get down to it. But question of the day is this. If this is the only thing you had in your life, is it enough for you? If we got rid of all this stuff, we took all the lighting out, if we tore up all the carpet and I just flooded this whole sanctuary with six inches of water, would you still come here and listen to this be preached? Because this is illegal in a lot of countries. We have the opportunity to look at it and learn. Repentance means to return to God. And he says the kingdom of heaven is near. I love this. It's double meaning. When Jesus ascended from the earth, the disciples literally thought he was going to, because he told them, I'm going to go prepare a place for you. I'm going to build you a, basically a house, a mansion. I'm going to come back for you. Okay, the disciples were very difficult. They're very dense. I'm glad God people, loves people like dense people like me. And he said, he said I'm going to come back for you. The disciples died thinking, oh, he said about a couple weeks. He said a couple months. Well, it's been a couple years, <laughs> a couple hundreds of years. So they think that, that, that this is going to happen. Well, what the, pro, the difference is, that is one sense of the word near. The other one is the sense of near that the new covenant was coming. We're within three years of the crucifixion of Christ here. The other one, which I find dynamically awesome, is near is a real relative term to that day. John's in the middle of the river. The Bible says that Jesus has not come out as the public Messiah yet. Near means yeah, he's right there. He's right there, but you don't know that yet. He's right there. Well, no, that's Jesus from Nazareth. You hear that in the Bible. Oh, no, that's, just, that's just him. Look at verse 3. The prophet Isaiah was speaking about John when he said, He's a voice shouting in the wilderness. Prepare the way for the Lord's coming. Clear the road for him. Isaiah was an Old Testament prophet. Isaiah and John the Baptist preached sermons that were almost identical. It's really, really awesome. You go back and read the book of Isaiah, and you want to be Isaiah. You don't want to be anyone that he talks to. You want to be zero people that Isaiah talks to. Here's the deal. I'm, I'm friends with, with Sean, so I'll, I'll, talk, I'll talk this way to Sean. This is, this is the Old Testament, I'll be Isaiah, okay? God tells me <laughs> what to tell Sean, and Isaiah has to go tell Sean. <laughs> Or most of them, it's groups and towns of people. So Isaiah gets his word from God, and he comes over, and he goes, stop doing that. But that's very nice compared to Isaiah. If you read Isaiah, he says this, do this, or God's going to smoke you. Do this, or you're going to have all kinds of frogs and all kinds of different stuff come and just eat all your crops, or all, all of these, you're going to be attacked from the north. The Assyrians are going to come. They're going to, they're going to one time, Isaiah uses the word butcher. Do you know how alone Isaiah must have felt? He gets the word. Oftentimes the Old Testament prophets had to go by themselves and tell people, you are doing this, you need to repent and turn to God, otherwise envelope please. He's a voice. Isaiah calls out a long time before Jesus comes and he's talking about John's role and that he is preparing that role. 
Now we look at this guy, and he literally has long hair. Probably has a really, really sweet beard. Hasn't been combed in a while. Looks like Captain Caveman. Wear a belt, okay? Check out verse, or the next blank in your worship handout. We must realize that God can use anyone. Uh, I can't play bass. I can't sing. I can't play drums. I can't run sound. I can't do this. I can't do that. What if we stop looking at the things that we can't do and look at the things that we can do? If you come to First Step today, one of the last questions that you'll, you'll fill out on a piece of paper is, what are you good at? We have gotten all kinds of crazy stuff. A lady really, literally said, I'm good at quilting. And she goes, it's probably not even good. I said, you know what you can do with that? She's like, what's that? I said, can you make little small prayer blankets? Well, I could. I said, do you know how effective that is? That we can, you, can, you can literally make things and we can give things to people that are in the hospital or fighting sickness or different things like that. You are not useless. Here's, here's the proof, ready? Give me one verse of scripture in the Bible where God said, I've made junk. God doesn't make junk. We all came as a result of fertilization. We have all come from that. It, we have all come from that. Now, because God says in his word that he, he has woven you and created you in your mother's womb, God doesn't make junk. We can junk up our lives for sure, but God doesn't make, he's not in the business of making junk. My God, oh gosh, he took me out of somewhere land down here and he raised me up out of that and he said, Come on. Sometimes I, he has to kick me. I don't know about you. He's like, come on. I like that picture. It says, the guy's looking at the, at the footprints in the sand. He goes, now, I know that the one set of footprints is where you carried me. That's from footprints, the poem. He goes, well, what's that squiggly line? He goes, that's where I drug you. <laughs> See, God, God can take anything of anybody out of any lifestyle in anything. God can change anything for those that love him. He, he can change your life. There are people in here that would so attest to that right now. Look at John, uh, look at Mark 3, or Matthew 3, 4. John's clothes were woven. But look at this word, coarse camel hair. Okay, I have, I have an African greater kudu. And some of you are like, ku what? That's a kudu. They have the curled horns that I, that I got to harvest in Africa. It's in our living room. Now, I have bear rugs, and I have all kinds of different things that you can pet, and they're like, oh, that's smooth. The kudu is not, it does not feel like a mink. They do not, there's probably a reason they do not make kudu coats, and they make mink coats. It's coarse. It's wiry. It's not pleasant. The fact of the matter is, he wore what he had, and he ate what he had. He wore a leather belt around his waist. I'm telling you, is this not a perfect description of Captain Caveman? I don't know about the club. Other than that, he's pretty close. Look what he ate. Locust. Are you kidding me? I've been, I've been to Europe, and I've eaten chocolate-covered crickets. And they're not bad. They're crunchy. But those little stupid things that are on my trees at our house all summer and going, I think they're the spawn of Satan. Okay, they just get, and then, and then they shed their skin and you find them everywhere. Listen, he ate them. Speaking of movies, it's probably like, I don't mind them, I actually like them, but 
when Eddie is called in Griswold's Christmas vacation and Clark Griswold says, where's Eddie? He usually eats these things. And he's referring to squirrels. Okay? The, John was a plain guy. He was a nobody. Hillsong wasn't his worship leader. He was doing a lot of this alone. He had people that started to follow him, so he had a kind of a group. But he, there, was, there was never probably a more unassuming man. But watch this. This unassuming man prepared the way for an even more unassuming man that came out of Nazareth. He wasn't David. He didn't come into Jerusalem and say, I am the king. He said, I'm the son of God. And all, all, he, had, all he heard was, no, you're not. Okay, but the fact of the matter that you think that I'm not doesn't make me not him. Look at verse 5. People from Jerusalem and all from Judea and all over Jordan Valley went out to see and hear John. I told you, he was popular. And when they confessed their sins, not to John, to God, he baptized them in the Jordan River. Baptism was practiced by the Jewish people. It was a very familiar thing. Jewish people would baptize people that converted to the Jewish religion. Every time, next week, somebody will always ask me, or in first step today, somebody will always ask me, well, we, we baptize, or we call we dunk people. Why don't we sprinkle them? Listen, I'm not going to get in a theological debate with you, but I have seen the Greek and the Hebrew, the language. Every time the word baptism is used, it's used in the Greek word as baptizo. It means to immerse. It means to dunk underwater, put underwater, to fully soak. Um, that's, that's what they would pra- practice. Um, so it was a familiar thing, but it, it showed the, the turning um, from their sinful lives to their good new lives. But look who shows up to the party in verse 7. Look at these guys. Oh, these guys. But, but when he saw many Pharisees and Sadducees, these are two religious teaching groups, okay? They're very analytical, they're very liberal, and they're very legalistic, John the Baptist is following God. He's got coarse camel hair, a leather belt, and he's in the middle of a blue mud river. These guys are standing on side with sweet robes. And I talked to you about this. They got the sweet, if they were 2019 Pharisees, they'd have the Yeezys on. Okay? They have all the, all the cool stuff, and they had you know, the, all the gold and all the stuff. They weren't about to come into the river. I think that's why John just talked to them from the river, because they were never going to come down and talk to them there. But they were very legalistic. And look, they come to watch him baptize to denounce them. Basically, they stood up on the bank and said, I can't imagine this. John baptizes somebody. And somebody up there, like a Pharisee or Sadducee, go, that doesn't count. <laughs> that doesn't count. You brood of snakes. Look at this. John, knowing that they weren't going to come down and knowing he needed to call them out in front of everybody, looked up at him and he goes, you brood of snakes. By the way, it's not a greeting that you want to put in the next birthday card to your friend. Calling someone a brood of snakes is not a good thing. He says, basically, you are a pit of people that twist and conspire along with one another to make everything fit for you and everything else is wrong. He exclaimed, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? He says, verse 8 is very important. He says, prove by the way you live that you have repented of your sins and turned to God. The Pharisees and the Sadducees say, I follow the rules and I'm forgiven. There's no relationship with Christ in the law. Okay, there, it's not. It's not there. The new covenant did not exist. He says, John says, prove by the way you live. I wonder today if we, if we took a poll of our, our last weeks individually and we were given a grade, um, how well we lived, how well did we live to show Christ last week? 
I'm not talking about your kids. I'm not talking about your mate. I'm talking about us, you, me, us, we. It's hard. In verse 9, he encourages them. He says, don't just say to each other, we're safe for we are descendants of Abraham. This would have spoke greatly to the religious leaders, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, because they basically said, because of my DNA and who I am, I'm going to heaven. And I follow the rules. That's wrong. We're talking about a new covenant being ushered in with Jesus here. He says, it's not going to work. It means nothing, for I tell you, God can create children of Abraham from these very stones. Even now the axe of God's judgment is poised, ready to sever the roots of the trees. The roots of the trees of the people that are unbelieving. Okay? Yes, every tree that does not produce good fruit will be chopped down and thrown into the fire. Spiritually, if we're not producing spiritual fruit... There's a couple options. Number one, you're a follower of Jesus that you're sliding away. Number two, you've never been a child of Jesus. We're supposed to produce fruit, produce an attitude of forgiveness, asking for repentance, telling God that you you love them and, and loving other people as God loves them. Look at verse 11. I baptize with water those who repent of their sins and turn to God. Okay, this is the same thing that we do. They These people are gonna get in the water next week and it's going to be an outward expression, uh, uh, an example of the burial, death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. It's going to be an outward expression of something that happened to them inside. We don't believe that baptism saves you, but it is one of the first commands that Jesus gives. He said, yeah, you need to be baptized. He tells the disciples, baptize, meaning, meaning share the gospel with them so they're converted, then you baptize. That's, that's the first commandment that we're given. He says, but look at this. I baptize with water those who repent of their sins and turn to God. Okay, we get that. Okay, be somewhere around, you know, 30 AD and hear this. But someone is coming soon who is greater than I am, so much greater that I'm not worthy to be his slave or carry his sandals. And check this out. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Okay, I don't know about you. I like fire. I like to play with fire. I like to set things on fire. I do not want to be baptized with fire. Okay, but obviously this is spiritual. In, in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit falls. Jesus is ascended to heaven. He sends back. He tells the people, I'm going to send my helper. The Holy Spirit falls. Acts chapter 2. He comes in the form of fire. Bingo. We baptize people. We baptize people to show that God has saved them. And John is just, he's not doing anything different than that. Look at verse 12. He's ready to separate the chaff from the wheat with his winnowing fork. Oh, this is, this is such a cool word. Winnowing fork is nothing more than an elaborate pitchfork. If we have farmers in here, you, you understand this. Corn has a husk. A soybean has a pod. Wheat has chaff. Okay? It's the shell. Now, the winnowing fork, all the, all the, all the wheat would be here. And the winnowing fork was literally to get like this and you would toss it up. But the tines would touch the wheat in such a manner they would break that shell and the shell would go and eventually the wheat grain would weigh heavier than the shell. All the shells would be on the, all the chaff would be on top. Okay? So the, the wheat, the good stuff, the valuable stuff could be gathered and look what it says about, look, it said then he will clean up the threshing area. That's where he, that's where they'd use the winnowing, winnowing fork. He would gather the wheat, the good stuff, into his barn. Okay, we store it up. We use it for bread and for all kinds of different things and it's valuable but burning the chaff with never-ending fire here's the deal the wheat the wheat grain is the person that believes in christ the chaff is is somebody that doesn't the chaff is useless you can't use it for anything 
And it's, by the way, it's very easily set on fire. It's very dry. When grain is dry, it will come up very quickly. But God, God gave me this as I was studying this week. Some people, some people know that they're not Christians. And, and they're, in this story, they're the chaff. Now watch. God, God has entered into this person. And this is, this is a wheat seed. Some people think that by being the chaff and being close enough to that person that that's good enough. They think it's good enough. That's what, that's what, this is what John is telling these people. He said, it's not enough to follow the rules. It's not enough to follow the rules. It's enough to accept Christ, but it's not enough to follow all these rules. The old covenant is getting ready to go away. People that are the chaff are the unaccepted ones. I wonder if we need to repent for the things that that we, that we have. I wonder, I wonder if God needs to, in fact, in us, burn off this excess chaff that we like to collect. See, because a person that's a chaff can be around somebody that's a good piece of wheat, but a piece of wheat can also want to get around a chaff because they don't want to fully give God everything. And he's talking about he's unrepentant and repentant people. It's said that hell will be filled with people not because they're bad, not because they're good, it would be people that missed heaven by 18 inches. The distance from your heart to your brain. There's going to be a lot of people that miss out. Listen, you, you, you are welcome here. You need to understand that we will never water this down ever. This changed my life. From the pit of earthly hell, this has changed my life. I've battled with a lot of stuff. I've battled with so much stuff, I don't care to even go into it because we don't have time. But I'm telling you, this is the life-changing 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. says that this is the living breath of God. All scripture is inspired by God. If you read another version, it's God-breathed. The Holy Spirit helped men write these words. Listen, this is a really cool story. There's 66 books in this Bible, okay? They were written on three different continents, over the span of 40 years, the New Testament is, over the span of 40 years, watch this, you ready? It does not contradict itself one time. Not once. And some of you are, that, that are doctrinally pretty smart, you'll go, well, James talks about works and Paul talks about salvation. If you study James's word, he says that our works come from our salvation. Well, Paul only preaches grace and love and mercy. Yep, so did Jesus. <laughs> See, we, we, it's, not, it's not good enough to say, well, um, I, I currently have not broken any laws today, so I'm, I'm forgiven in God's sight. Listen, you, your mind. We can think. We can do different things. But I'm telling you right now, the, the words of Dave Matthews' songs such, is, so, is so powerful. And he, he didn't write it to be spiritual. He said, where are you going? Geographically and spiritually, where are you going? Well, I know Jesus Christ. Monica Miller knew Jesus Christ. Because of the faithfulness of God's word, she's in the presence of God. If you are, when you pass away from this earth, that's where you're going to go. The Bible is very clear. Jesus is from heaven. That's his hometown. He talks three times more in scripture about hell than his hometown. He's telling you that it's real. (laughs) Now look at the last blank on your worship handout and we'll be done. It says, where are you at in your journey. See, this week, I want, you to, I want you to look at something. I want you to talk with God, and I, I don't want you to say, I don't, I'm not going to do this. Well, God, where, where's Mary out in her journey, and how can I help her? 
God's, God's voice back to me was, you need to get yourself under control here. <laughs> I want to deal with you. It is not your job to convict your wife. That's the Holy Spirit's job. Your job is to follow me and do what I said. That's the problem. When you follow God and do what you, what he, you know that he wants you to do, it's often very, very lonely. And the people that walked by Noah's house every day when he was building an ark in the middle of nothing and they had no idea what rain was. And Noah kept, well, you're an idiot. You keep working on that. And he goes, God told me to do it. And he was alone. 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 And his family and him were the only ones on the ark. And when God sealed the door, everybody else was alone. God's word is true. Where are you at in your journey? There is still time. Currently, right now, at 18147 East Illinois Highway, Route 15, Mount Vernon, Illinois, God is still tarrying and not sending Jesus back. There is time. There is time to understand I'm not finished. God's not finished with me yet. That should be a song. It is. So (laughs) where are we at? Where are we going? Here's another thing. I think that some of us have thought so negatively of ourselves all of our lives and we've not seen ourselves in the eyes of God and under the magnification of how God sees us that we don't think that our journey could even possibly be a positive one and you're 1,000% wrong. I have a friend, he comes up to me the very first time that he met me. I don't know if he was trying to keep me away. I don't know if he was trying to push me away. But he looked at me very, very squarely in the eyes. He goes, I've graduated AA. I've graduated NA. I spent 10 years in federal prison. I said, so? He goes, well, that usually turns people off, like makes them like, not want me around their kids. I said, okay, so you have a past. Welcome. We love you. You were loved here. We're concerned in where you're going. What could God do with you? The potential in this room is immeasurable. It's immeasurable. If you go to KFC, or you go to Aldi's, or you go to Kroger, wherever you go today, if you go home, Ask God this question. God, where, where do you want me to go? What do you want me to do? And the hard part is, when he tells you, we have to do it. That's the hard part. Let's pray. God, we love you. We're thankful so much, God, for Jesus. We thank you for the ability to come in. And God, that we can worship with lyrics that were written about you. Um, God, that we can worship through, through your word, through scriptures that, God, we know are true because you wrote it. God, I pray for people in here that, uh, that may be struggling with where they are right now. God, I just pray right now that they may, they may sense you, just a sense of renewal in their life if they're a Christian. God, if they're not a Christian, God, I pray that you would just speak to them that they need you. God, that they need, they need Jesus in their life. They need to ask for repentance. They need to ask for forgiveness for their sins, God. They need to repent of what they've done. And God, ask Jesus to come into their life. God, we give you thanks and we give you praise for everything that is going to go on next Sunday. God, it's going to be an exciting day. It's going to be a day of of celebration with people that are going to get baptized. And God, I just pray that you would bring people in that need to hear about you. God, that we just may be used as a hand or a finger or a foot or a toe for you and your kingdom work on this earth. We love you, God. We're so thankful for you. Thank you for Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.